Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. This is the passage that we began this year together. Let's read aloud together the three verses from Hosea, chapter 6. Let's read aloud now together. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He's going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We welcome all the visitors, um, family members who are visiting um, your family uh, in Toronto and you have joined us uh, this morning uh, in our corporate worship. We welcome you. Uh, Our church uh, began this year uh, with the theme, Return to the Lord. Uh, It's been about 350 days, uh, 52 weeks, Uh, When we kicked off the new year back then with this call to return to God. And the question is, how have you returned to the Lord this year? And how have we as a church returned to the Lord? And as Helen prayed for us, thank you for your prayer. Uh, As I reflect, how God has been at work in our community, uh, specific individuals, members of this church community. Um, I praise God for his work of grace uh, that turned our hearts to him. Uh, Some of you came back uh, to church after months and years of spiritual hibernation or being away from church, and some of you have come back to your first love for God. So we praise God for that. We have only a few more days before the end of the year, and these two banners that says return to the Lord will come down, and by next Sunday, we will kick off the new year, year 2020, with a new theme. It's easy to go through the motions, and even sing songs and say these words, return to the Lord without having really returned to the Lord. And may today be the day for some of you to really return to the Lord with your heart. And for those of us who have experienced the returning to the Lord and we are continuing to return to the Lord by His grace, uh, may today be a worship to our God with thanksgiving. This past week, I was doing my thing on the third floor in the bathroom, and I saw this in the urinal. Do you see the thing on the top of the urinal? It's a staple. And I was like, I was doing my thing. I'm like, what is this? What are you doing here? Um, 
staple. You don't belong in the washroom on top of a urinal. That's not where you're supposed to be. So I picked it up, and then I put it on my stapler. And then some of you are like, what? You touched it and put it back? Um, yeah, because that's where the staple belongs, right? Some of you uh, have been where you shouldn't have been, where uh, you don't need to be in, uh, whether it was a gradual backsliding or whatnot. And this morning, I, I really do pray, and I have been praying for, for us, that you will and we will all return to the Lord. And this is the final call um, as we prepare for the new year and as we wrap up this year. In fact, the call to return is, 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 is at the heart of Christian life. Uh, return to the Lord, in other words, is repentance. It means you are going in a certain direction. Got to be careful with the sound. You're going in a certain direction and you are turning to go the other direction. You are, you're going your own way, doing your own thing with whatever you want to do, and then you are turning to go God's way. That's returning. That's repentance. And it's one of the most singular, important call in the entire Bible ever since the fall of our first parents. Come back to God. And that, that runs throughout the whole Bible. It's, it's what the salvation history is all about. The father waiting for his rebellious sons and daughters to come back home. That's why when Jesus came, when Jesus appeared on earth and when he began his public ministry, the first message, the first sermon that was ever preached by Jesus was to return. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter's first sermon, Peter the Apostle, in the book of Acts, same. The first sermon that was recorded by the church was, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, repentance, or returning to the Lord, it's not just a one-time thing that we do, however, when we first become a Christian. I mean, without returning to the Lord, without repentance, without turning away from your way to God's way, you can never begin a new life in Jesus Christ. You can never start afresh in Christ. You can never be a Christian. But it's also true that after having returned to the Lord, we are continuing to return to the Lord because we are prone to wonder. It's a lifelong journey of faith that demands us, that beckons us to return to the Lord. It's, a, it's, part, it's at the heart of discipleship. That's why John the Baptist, he called out by saying, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Martin Luther the reformist, the reformer, said, when our Lord, Master Jesus said, repent in Matthew in his first sermon, 
And that was the first thesis of the 95 Thesis that began the Reformation. When, the, when our Lord, Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Paul Carter, who came to our retreat in the summer and preached, writes, real Christians sin. Now, after you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you are without sin. We continue to sin. But by God's grace, real Christians repent and are forgiven. No wonder the Lord's prayer at the right heart of the prayer Lord Jesus teaches us to pray what? Forgive us of our, of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. May we experience the forgiveness today and every day. Not only that, may you and I choose to forgive today as we have received forgiveness from the Lord. Again, this call to return is for all of us for all times, at all stages of life and walks of life. So the title of today's message, Returning to the Lord, is not only a final call of this year, but a continual call for all of us to take heed of the voice of God and to turn to Him again and again and again. And the question is, how are we then to return and continue to return to the Lord? And Hosea 6 and the passages surrounding Hosea chapter 6 teaches us at least three ways for us to return to the Lord. First, we return to the Lord with all our heart. Can we say this? Let us return to the Lord with all our heart. Let's say that aloud together. Let us return to the Lord with all our heart. Not just in words, not in certain areas of life, but all of life, all of heart. The word return, which in Hebrew is shub, is used 23 times in this book, Hosea. And many, many times throughout the Bible, especially in the prophetic books, because all the prophets are calling out to the people of God to return back to God. Joel 2, 12 says, Return to me, says the Lord, with all your heart. Why? Because God's people have gone out, went away, like a promiscuous woman who left her husband and had been committing adultery. And the husband is not just angry but heartbroken, waiting for his wife to come back. Before chapter 6, we have chapter 5, and chapter 5 ends with this. When Ephraim, Ephraim referring to God's people, saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. So instead of going to God, the Lord, in the midst of the sickness and the wound, the problems, 
God's people are looking elsewhere for healing, for restoration. But he's not able to cure you, the king of Assyria, the great king, or heal your wound. For I, God says, God says, I'll be like a lion to Ephraim, like a young lion to the house of Judah. And then he says, I, even I will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they, my people, acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in, this, in their distress earnestly seek me. This is God's warning. Um, God is being very honest with his people. You have hurt me. You are going to other men when God is the only husband entered into this covenant of marriage with his people. And God says, I'm like a lion. You know what? Elsewhere, um, God likens himself to a grizzly bear whose cubs have been taken away. Have you ever tried to take away a baby cub from a bear, grizzly? Try it and see what happens. God says, my anger burns like that. And then he says, I'm going to rip your heart open. Oh my goodness. God says that? Yes, God says that in the Bible. Don't presume that you know God and God is a gentle, just a nice grandpa-like person. No. God hates sin and God demands your full loyalty just as me as a husband wouldn't be okay if my wife hangs out with the other guys and goes to a party and takes a picture and then puts it on the Instagram and goes out and never come back for a couple of days. That, that, that's, that's unacceptable, right? And if I'm not feeling any emotion, something's wrong with me and our relationship. It's a living relationship with God. So when people hear this message, of warning, until you acknowledge your guilt and seek me earnestly, I'm not returning to you. Return to me and I'll return to you. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And return with all your heart. And so, this then is what we just read. So people are responding to God's call to return. And so, okay, we just read it. Hosea 6, verse 1 through 3. This is this is like people singing a worship song on Sunday corporate worship. Uh, it, could, it could have been Hosea. It could have been a worship leader. It could be some leader. And the congregation kind of joining in, singing, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him, because he is a good God. Right? Let us know him. Let us press on to know the Lord. He's going out as sure as dawn. Yes, he's faithful. He will come out to us as showers, as spring rains that water the earth. I mean, when you read it, actually, there's a worship song from Hosea 6. I remember singing that when I was in college. Those are good words. 
That may have been a congregational call to worship or prayer. I mean, what do you think? I mean, isn't that good words? Are you inspired by those words to return to God? How does God respond to their worship song? Does God say, thank you, come, be embraced? God's response in verse 4 is this. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? What do I do with you? Your love is like a morning cloud, like a dew that goes early away. Very religious sounding words. And yet God looks right through the religious veneer and facade and says, what do I do with you? You're saying, I'm sorry. You're saying, I'm repenting. But your repentance is for 30 seconds. And then you go right back to see your lover. You talk about healing and revival without dealing with the fundamental problem of sin in your life. What you need is not just a band-aid healing ointment. You need a radical heart surgery. Where is the broken and contrite spirit? It's like a promiscuous wife coming back home because she ran out of money and says, you're a nice guy. You have money. Forgive me. Can you give me some money? Help me. But the husband does not see the genuine heart in the wife's confession. There is no true repentance that acknowledges the guilt. There is no earnestness that seeks God. I remember this year after a worship service, a brother came up to me and he wanted to receive prayer. We went to that first year chapel and he didn't just receive prayer, he, he knelt. He knelt and he was repenting. It was genuine. It wasn't a 30-second repentance. We wept together. I'm not just talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about a wholehearted, authentic turning to God. God is near to those whose heart is broken and contrite in spirit. And may God grant us that broken heart and contrite spirit. Israelites were so used to coming to Sunday corporate worship, singing songs, and hearing sermons. But 
they've developed a callous, thick heart that the Word of God couldn't penetrate. So they're going through the motions. They're saying all the right theology. They're, they're saying all the right words. But then practically, there's no change in life. They're doing the same thing over and over again. So that's why God says, what do I do with you? What about you? What about me? What about us? I fear that I as a pastor become so used to hearing the gospel or saying the Lord's prayer or being part of a corporate worship that I lose this authentic, heartfelt confession and urgency to repent. That I become just religious. I do a 30-second repentance and then go back and do what I do without any change. That we take sin lightly and God lightly and judgment lightly without fearing God. I fear that. Do you and I, do we really understand that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? God looks for people who are returning to Him with all of His or her heart. God looks for heart that is steadfast. He says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I want your heart. I want your steadfast love, not just going through the motions. Again, if, if we really understand God and our relationship to Him, we can never be detached. God is full of emotion, perfect emotion, unlike us. Zeal and passion. Staffast love in Hebrews is chesed. I mean, that really captures the character of God, the covenantal faithfulness, God unchanging, I mean, the call to worship was about even if we were faithless, God is faithful because He cannot deny Himself. That's the word, faithfulness. In some other translation, it's loving kindness. There is no one English word that could capture that idea of hesed or the staffest love. It's, it's a committed love. It's a love that says, I will stay with you and stick with you to the end. Even if you leave, I will not leave you and forsake you. That's the kind of God whom we worship. And God says, that's my heart for you. I love you with commitment. I don't just love you half-hearted, and if you leave me, whatever. No. I do care if you don't follow me, obey me, love me with your whole heart. And God asks, I don't, I don't need your money. I need your heart. Money and time and the services that we offer is an expression of the heart that is wholly dedicated to God. And God says, I want your heart. God desires staff as love, a full-hearted devotion. And the question is, have we returned to the Lord with 
all of our heart. Can we sing genuinely, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I wake, Lord, have your way. It's all yours. My life is all yours. My money, my, my talents, my future, my children, my family, my minute. Everything is yours. You are my everything. Now that's returning to the Lord with all your heart. And my prayer is that may I, may you, may we be a church that can sing it and mean it as we sing it. So the first returning to the Lord has to do with our heart. The second is returning to the Lord with or through true knowledge of God. Again, verse 3 is a great confession. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. But again, God isn't really impressed with that confession because knowing God isn't about accumulating more knowledge about God, but having an intimate relationship with God, right? I mean, you guys, many of you have heard, you know, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. It's like, I know about Obama or Trudeau or, you know, this figure out there about him without any relationship. But I know my wife. I know my children. God is talking about that kind of a knowledge. There's a covenantal, committed, relational knowledge. That's why in Hosea 2, God says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love. In mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. It's the kind of knowing that after you know, you fall deep and intimate in that relationship. It's a kind of knowing that a husband knowing a wife and then a baby pops out. That kind of annoying. And it's essential that we know God as God reveals to us. How many of you received a Christmas gift? Oh, you are, oh, okay, okay. I thought everyone's like not generous, but raise your hand. I can't see you. Okay, many of you. How many of you received Christmas gift that you really wanted to receive? Uh, less of you. How many of you received gift that you didn't really want? <laughs> I see at least one. Oh, two. Okay. You know, okay. If your friend or family member doesn't really know you, that could they could give whatever offering or gift to you, and it wouldn't really make you happy. It's like, what the? <laughs> I don't need this. Don't you know me? You know, that, 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 that was what's happening in, in the relationship with God and his people back in the days. And it could happen even between us and God even now. If, if we don't really know God, we could bring offering and do all these things in the name of God or for God. And then God may say, I didn't ask you for that. 
I'm not, I'm not interested in that. And the way you do, it's not the way I would be pleased. That's why God says, not only do I desire staff as love, but knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In Hosea 4, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you, referring to the priests, the church leaders, pastors, and life group leaders, and whoever handles the word of God, have rejected knowledge, laws, the Torah, the instruction of your God. I mean, this is a, this is a, a, a serious call, a wake-up call for all the leaders. If I do not know the heart of God well, and I'm standing here communicating about God for help, to help you to worship God, but then what I'm saying is false. I'm not representing God properly in a right manner. Then I'm, I'm, I'm not glorifying God. I'm, I'm really uh, blasphemous. I'm being blasphemous. I'm, I'm blaspheming God. And God takes that seriously. And then later says, people without understanding will come to ruin. We must know God. Israelites were deluding themselves, assuming themselves they were thinking that they knew God and that they were pleasing God, completely unaware of how deep they have offended and betrayed God in their relationship with Him. And so the question is, how then do we come to know God in a practical way? How does God reveal Himself for us to know Him and to love Him and to serve Him? And we know God through the Word through this book. That's why we say Bible is God's Word. Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. God is God who speaks, and that's how He reveals. If I don't speak about what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing, you would have no idea about who I am, Right? Speaking, communicating allows us to know one another. God speaks. Thanks be to God. God speaks to our fathers, or God spoke to our fathers by the prophets in the Old Testament. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, referring to Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that, wor that Word became flesh and dwelt among us whom he appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Can you imagine? Can you, can you imagine the universe is being upheld by God's hand and God's word, the word of his power. That's how the word of God is powerful. There's no true knowing apart from knowing the word of God. And there's no true returning and bearing fruit of repentance without knowing God through his word. I wanted to make the second point a little more practical for us, so I have a short video the question is, what changes when you get in 
What changes when you get in God's Word at least four times per week? Let's watch this. Can you play? There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 uh, uh, general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80, and they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. It, they weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, when we're in the Scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message. One time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'll, I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map. Like there was a heartbeat. Something happened. Again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, th I mean, there'd be a gradual incline right. on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in the Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith wow. jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there. Um, I mean, again, for those of you who are statisticians and Smart people, that the correlationship between reading the Bible more than four times and the results. Uh, I mean, it's biblical because Psalm 1 says, um, Blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on day and night, because if you do that, right, you will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. All that it, he does, he prospers. So the point is, I mean, I'm not really interested in the numbers per se, but there is a significant relationship between knowing God through reading and loving and delighting and living the Word of God and spiritual health and transformation that I and hopefully you all long to see. So returning to the Lord through true knowledge of God demands us, invites us. Really, it is a gift. Repentance is a gift. Bible is a gift, and we get to read it. Um, I'm mindful of those of you who are sitting and you're thinking, okay, this is just a Christian book for Christians. But let me say one thing. A um, couple of different examples. Those who are skeptical about this book. I don't know how many of you watched this uh, movie, Ben-Hur. Uh, there's a modern Hollywood version, too. Um, won 11 Academy Awards in 1959, um, long time ago. 
Lou Wallace, a guy behind this movie uh, or the script of the movie, was a skeptic who had set out to actually debunk Christianity. So he started to read the Bible to debunk Christian faith. And as he was reading, the Holy Spirit worked in his heart, and he actually ended up becoming a believer. And, and eventually he'll be writing books, and then the movie like Ben-Hur got produced, which is out of a book, a story. And the subtitle of the, the movie Ben-Hur is a tale, the, a tale of Christ. So if you watch the movie, uh, Ben-Hur is not the main character. It is a main character, but then the undergirding, uh, the, 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 the storyline um, has Christ appearing at a significant moment. Um, again, the power of God's word. Uh, I don't know how many of you know this lady, Rosaria Butterfield. She was an English literature professor at Syracuse University, an active LGBT movement leader. And he, she also set out to debunk Christian faith and Christianity. And so she set out to do a research on the Bible, how Bible is contradictory, patriarchal, out of date, unscientific, and she started to read and do research. I got to connect with this Lutheran pastor and his wife and build relationship with them over many months and years. After having read and studied the Bible, Holy Spirit worked, convicted her heart of her sins, and she repented and believed Jesus. And now she's an active Bible teacher. So, I mean, this is uh, a, a power of God's word where uh, um, Charles Spurgeon says something like this. You don't have to prove this book to be the Word of God that has power. Just unleash it, just as you would let the lion out and let the lion do the work. Unless you experience yourself the power of God's Word. It's, it's good that you are sitting here and we are talking about the Bible and I'm preaching from the Bible. But once a week is not really enough. It, it could really be a 30-second repentance, and then you go back, and then you go back to your normal way of life without much change. But then you do it not just twice, not just three times, but then four or five, and you do that morning and night, daily, week after week, months after months, year after year, and your life will change because the Word of God is power of God through Spirit. For those of you who are members of New Hope, I had a question to the leaders. Are you being sanctified and shaped by the Word of God? And this is, I mean, it's not that clear, kind of. I mean, that's the leader survey. Not everybody did the survey, but there were 24 responses from life group leaders and apprentices. And it's encouraging because I see how there are less on the left side and more on the right side, more and more of our members are reading and applying and being shaped and sanctified by the Word of God. And I, I know I, I need to be careful of becoming a Bible-reading legalist. Reading the Bible doesn't save you. Let me be clear. But God has given this book as the means of grace. And we cannot be Bible not reading spiritual lazy people. I mean, there are dangers everywhere. 
right? We're talking about being grounded in the grace of God and the Word of God together. As a church, in the new year, we have decided to use what, uh, what's called uh, Robert McShane, um, Robert Murray McShane, so RMM, Bible Reading Plan. You should have it in your, um, in your, as an insert in your bulletin. Uh, it helps us to read through the whole Bible, uh, Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, this plan that we'll be using is, uh, is a two-year version whereby we read the Old Testament in two years, so half of the Old Testament to 2020, and then the other half, 2021. And the New Testament we'll be reading once, and then Psalms once. Um, for some people, and I, again, out of my conversation, discussion with the leaders, small group leaders especially, some groups and some of you may feel like this is too much. Maybe one chapter a day, because I couldn't even follow one chapter this year or the year before. Can I do just one chapter? It's up to you and your group. But I encourage you to have a plan and have an accountability buddy or be part of a small group where we read the Bible together and love the Bible and live it out together. Because if you don't have a plan, just like a workout or diet, most likely uh, we are setting up ourselves to fail. So uh, we will be trying to have this plan uh, to be applied for this campus. I know uptown and downtown campus, if you are part of other campus, but you're visiting today, I know uptown and downtown, they're actually reading three, four chapters a day. <laughs> so you guys have it easy in Mississauga in a way. They're reading the whole Bible in one year together using Bible Project, and we plan to do that in the future. Uh, to keep up with the Bible reading, not only do you need a plan, but I encourage you to be part of an accountability group. I know that there are some life groups that are doing it together. I recently joined Kingsman Group in just a, a WhatsApp chat where people just check in every day. I read Hebrews 11 or 12. Now, sanctification is a community project. Having this helps me. Having this will help you. If you're a part of a life group, I would encourage you to do it together. I've asked the shepherds who oversee uh, different life groups to encourage the life group leaders and the members to do a similar thing. If you're not part of a life group, I'll be running a, I mean, we, we just came up with this name on Friday, Let's brag, but it's really not the name that represents the spirit behind this thing. Um, Bible Reading Accountability Group, for lack of a better acronym. So, if you're not part of a life group, but want to be part of an accountability group, I'll be leading it. Pastor Daniel, we talked about leading one for students. And students, I remember doing my quiet time every morning. I lived on campus for two years, and while I was on campus, and even if I was living off campus, but campus life, for four years, I got to be part of this accountability group when, uh, when I was in university, and we would meet regularly. Uh, first two years, we met daily. And it's one of the greatest seasons of your life, spiritually. I mean, you don't have that kind of an opportunity when uh, you go off campus and then you graduate. In fact, I, I got to remember, even when I was in New York, and that's when I was in the same Bible study group with my wife, and uh, we would go to chapel 
on a regular basis. And we weren't dating then, so there's no ulterior motive there, but we just read the Bible and pray together. What an amazing opportunity that you have as students. At the end of the day, it is really about the heart, my first point, but heart that is turned to God will want to read the Bible. I think that's one of the signs of God's grace working in our lives, in my life, that you have hunger and thirst for God's Word. It's about not just reading, but loving it and living it, and Christ being your intimate friend and Lord over your life. Last point. Returning to the Lord is not just with my heart or our hearts. It's not just through the knowledge of God, but ultimately it is really by the grace of God. Hosea ends the chapter 6 by God, pointing to God who will restore the fortunes of his people. In that context, it's more of a discipline, and through discipline, eventually God bringing his people back. God promises about giving us a new heart, a new spirit. God will remove the heart of stone from our flesh and give us the heart of flesh, and God will give us and put in us his spirit within us so that we are caused. He will cause us to walk in his ways and to obey him. So on the one hand, repentance or return to the Lord or call to return is a command, but it's also a gift. That's why in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we see that God has granted or given repentance. God grants us repentance that leads to a knowledge of the truth. That's why when we cannot repent, when we feel like we don't even want to repent or return, we can pray this, Lord, help me to repent. That would be a music to God's ears. Lord, help me to return to you because I can't do it. Help me to forgive because I can't. Help me to forgive myself because I can. Help me to forgive the people who hurt me because I can't. As you read uh, on, it's interesting because um, Hosea later reveals the heart of God even more. And there's a movement of God first saying, I love you. And the second movement is, I will kill you (laughs) because you ran away from me and you have been committing adultery. And then he goes, no, I will not. (laughs) Similar to Hosea 4. What do I do? How can I give you up? How can I hand you over? How can I make you like Adama? How can you make you like Sodom and Gomorrah? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. And later he says, I will return you to myself. I will roar like lion and you will come back to me trembling. That's the 
story of the Old Testament, but isn't that the story of my life and your life for those of us who have returned to the Lord? He says later, I'll return them to their homes, and then says, For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Again, God is like a husband whose wife committed adultery. And he is rightly angry and full of wrath and heartache. It's hard for a husband to forgive wife or spouse who committed adultery, vice versa. There is no perfect husband. There is no perfect father. God says, I am God and not a man. So there is this fierce antagonism against sin in God's heart. And yet there's also this covenantal faithfulness, the steadfast love and commitment toward his people. So how do we reconcile? How does God reconcile the wrath against sinners and love towards them? D.A. Carson says this, both his wrath and his love must fully satisfy, and so the wrath and love must move forward together until they meet at the cross. So in Jesus, the Lord has shown not only how seriously he takes sin, because Jesus, his own son, had to die for you and me, for our sins, but he also shows how far he's willing to go to receive us back, to bring us back to himself. So if we really know that, and as I'm knowing it more, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm learning to hate sin more. Not perfectly. I still struggle. But I am keep repenting. And I am keep returning to the Lord. Even if I falter and sin, I will repent. And I would avoid sin more because I love God. Because we love God. We can always return to the Lord because of God's open arm welcoming arm in Jesus Christ. So as we wrap up this year, it is my prayer that you and I will return to the Lord even today as we respond in prayer with our whole heart and as we commit to be in the Word, to know God intimately, to pursue intimate relationship with Him in the new year. But we all know that all those doings is really God's doing. God is at work in his faithfulness by his grace, by his abounding grace, so that we can return to the Lord. Let's pray.